Welcome to What's Eric Eating, Culture Map's weekly look at all things Houston bars and restaurants. I'm your host, Culture Map food editor Eric Sandler. I have Danny Fraunfelker from Sipple coming up in a little bit. But first, I'm joined by my co-host this week. He is a passionate advocate for the Houston food scene. Matt Harris, welcome back to the show. How are you? Doing well, sir. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. Let us dive right into the news of the week because, frankly, there's quite a bit of it. Topic number one, Goodnight Hospitality announced that it will open the Marigold Club, a modern continental restaurant in the former Goodnight Charlie space. Even more intriguing, they have recruited former Tony chef Austin Waiter to be chef partner. And, and we should say Goodnight Charlie's kind of closed at the start of the pandemic. They never, they never officially announced that it wasn't coming back, but as more and more things reopened, it sort of became apparent that the idea of a hospitality group running sort of a fancy honky tonk was just not, not really uh, viable for them. Right. Well, it's a great space and it's, it's ready to go. I imagine there'll be some cosmetic changes, but um, that's, uh, that's definitely big news to start the year. Yeah. I mean, so, you know, we're, we're going to talk about Tony's here in a second, but have you, have you had Austin Waiter's food either at Tony's or at events? And does that make you more intrigued or less intrigued about the potential for the Marigold Club? Uh, I have had the pleasure of having Austin's food at events, not uh, at Tony's, which I think my intrigue would be the same so you know he's very well regarded glad to see that he's staying in houston if he was going to leave tony's and you know i think it's a uh, again another solid um addition to that group there's some serious talent over there on on both the food and beverage side no absolutely and you know felipe riccio who's kind of their chef partner for the group and leads the kitchen at march and then June Rodell, the master sommelier, who's another partner in that business. I mean, they've set a really high standard. And so I would say, you know, anything they do is sort of automatically interesting. And, and I don't, you know, continental food was kind of the, the dominant like dining style of, you know, maybe the fifties and sixties. And then we sort of spent the seventies and eighties rebelling against it with, you know, nouveau cuisine and, and, you know, even locally with like Southwestern cuisine that sort of replaced it. But I, I don't have, you know, I don't know that I have a, a relationship with continental cuisine. I don't, I don't really have a conception of it. And so I think it's, it's open to a fresh interpretation and a new perspective. And, and it, it, you know, it's, it's, it will be interesting to see how it comes to life. No, I agree. I, and uh, I think uh, I, I don't uh, have any real insider knowledge uh, on this, but it, it, it has a feels of maybe an extension of, of March at uh, more on the comfort side, more on the approachable side, a little more friendly on the pocketbook, you know, probably somewhere you can go. And if you, you know, want to sit at the bar and have a 
a burger and, and a cocktail by yourself, you can do that. Or if you want to go celebrate your birthday or anniversary or something similar and get dressed up, I think it probably uh, will fit that bill as well. Right. I, I think that's, I think that's right. And they, uh, they said it's going to have a speakeasy style private dining room, which I'm not quite sure what that means, but I guess Goodnight Charlie's had that, had that green room that was sort of hidden behind the stage. And I, I have a feeling that's going to get repurposed. Yes. You know, it sounds fun. And I think that uh, dining has moved in a direction uh, and, and Houston has sort of caught up a little bit with, with some of the other big name locations, New York, LA, Chicago, San Francisco, where, uh, you know, willing to spend a little bit of money and, and do something a little bit different. Um, and the food's part of it, the vibe's part of it, but also, you know, something that's fun and interesting. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and obviously we'll have a lot more to learn about, you know, the menu and, uh, the decor and all that. So, you know, that's all very much TBA and, and we'll learn more about that as it gets closer to a fall opening. But, uh, for now, I'm going to say that does it for topic number one. Topic number two, so if Austin Waiter has left Tony's, they need a new chef, and Donna Valone, the owner of Tony's and the widow of Tony Valone, has recruited Chef Kate McLean to return as chef and partner. Kate was the chef de cuisine from 2013 to 2017. Since then, she's done all kinds of things. She's helped organize uh, fundraising events. She's worked as a bartender. She made gelato. She recorded a podcast. She wrote articles for Culture Map, the Houston Press, and some other outlets. She's been a busy, she's been a busy woman, but she's not been a professional chef. That will end beginning in February when she comes back to Tony's. So Matt, I think you kind of answered this already, but but let's just be explicit about this. I I don't really have a, a personal relationship with Tony's. I've, I've been there occasionally over the years. I went once or twice when Austin was the chef, but it's been, I don't know, probably three-ish years since my last meal there, maybe even a little bit longer. Is Tony's a place where you dine? And if not, or even if so... Does hiring Kate McLean make you more likely to return soon? I mean, speaking of fun, right? I'm a big Kate fan um, as a person and as a chef. And uh, I will be honest, that's why you have me on, Daddy. That's why you're here. Um, Not for my expertise, but for my honesty. It is, I I do not have a current relationship with Tony. it's, It's been several several years, but uh, does Kate coming back make me more likely to return? 100%. I agree with you, which is why I sort of raised this topic. And part of that is that in speaking to her, she's so excited about coming back to the restaurant and has plans to liven it up a little bit. You know, she wants to do they have caviar service. She wants to find fun beverage pairings that, that enhance the caviar service. 
she wants to liven up the bar menu with gourmet figure foods that, that serve the bar well. She wants to use the wine room as a forum for tasting menus with like very specific lighting and sound, almost like a theatrical dining event. So, you know, I am too young to have encountered Tony's when it was this like in its, its former location on Post Oak, when it was this rollicking CNBC kind of celebrity spot, you know, I don't, I don't have that, you know, my, my encounters with it are in its current location where it's very refined. It's very elegant. It's pretty quiet. And, and so, you know, to, to steal a line, I think she wants to make Tony's fun again. And, and I'm all for that. Yeah, no, I think so. I, I, I do. Uh, I've, I've got you by a few years. I, I have fond memories of the uh, uh, power lunch on Fridays at Tony's. And, you know, that was like a deal. That was a happening. I mean, if you had a seat somewhere Friday at Tony's, you kind of felt like somebody. Um, so but I, I think it's great. I think it's, you know, Tony's has a long history, a long association with Houston. And uh, to see Kate come back, uh, it just, it, it feels right. No, I, I agree. And, you know, I, I've, I've been explicit about this in, in this conversation. I, I've written it or, or talked about it other times, but, you know, Tony's was the place where like my parents went on a, you know, for a special occasion, like an anniversary or birthday that we as the children weren't allowed to come. And so, you know, I think in that sense, it, it, it hasn't ever really felt like my restaurant, not that I'm not comfortable in sort of elevated settings, right? Like I, I can go to Blue Door and I can go to Turner's, I can go to, um, you know, March certainly and, and feel like, okay, this is my, this is my kind of restaurant. And there's not really any reason that Tony's couldn't feel that way too. It just doesn't. And so, you know, Kate coming back just seems like an opportunity to reintroduce it almost to a new generation of, you know, sort of Gen X or millennial types who really like dining and really like going out, but maybe don't have a personal relationship with the restaurant. No, I think that's opportunity is a good word for it. Um, You know, whether you want to call it Tony's 2.0 or Tony's 3.0, you know, I think that that's, uh, that's what we're looking at. And for me, it immediately places itself in that conversation with those places, BCN, Turner's, March, Blue Dorn. And I think there's a few others that'll be coming this year as well. So the, the future is bright for Houston and I think uh, future is bright for Tony's as well. And it's, it's probably repeating myself here, but I think that's good for Houston, right? Tony's. No, I, right. No, I, I agree with you. I think, you know, these legacy restaurants, you know, as, as Felice and I were, were talking about uh, Houston restaurant weeks, you know, she calls them the golden oldies, you know, they, they have a place in our, in our dining landscape and, and, but they, they do need to be periodically refreshed. And so bringing on Kate McLean, I think, is that opportunity. And we'll see what she does and, and how that integrates. But, but I'm excited. Yeah, I mean, we'll find out when we're dining there. Yeah, and, and just sort of colloquially, just from talking to some other mutual friends, I, I think, you know, we'll, we'll give Kate, you know, a couple of weeks to get settled in and then we'll show up 
six, eight people deep and put her in the weeds one night. Ready. <laughs> All right. And then topic number three, speaking of chefs returning to the kitchen, Terrence Gallivan, one of the chef owners of the Pass and Provisions, announced that he is opening Elro Pizza Crudo in Midtown. Uh, Matt, I'm going to say that the pizza at Provisions was always a strength of that restaurant. And so I am intrigued by what Terrence Gallivan is going to do at Elro. What do you think? No, I think so. Uh, you know, I'm a big Terrence fan and have been, and it's been good to see him around. And, you know, there have been whispers that uh, something was coming and, and here we are. I am more than up for Terrence being back in the kitchen and, and doing pizza and crudo bar, raw bar. As sort of a side note, both Elro and the Marigold Club were in an article in Vogue by the uh, well-regarded Cat Odell about most anticipated openings of 2022. And I think that speaks, well, not just of Terrence, but of Houston getting that sort of recognition in national publication uh, is pretty exciting. Yes. I, I also, uh, maybe too inside baseball, but I would say that also speaks well of uh, your publicist having a strong professional relationship with the person writing the article. Right. But still it's in there. So yeah, no, you know. no, always, always better to be in there than not in there. And certainly, you know, March showing up on the Esquire list of best new restaurants and, you know, Seth and Terrence, Seth, Seth Siegel Gardner and Terrence Gallivan earned James Beard uh, attention when they were passing provisions. So that makes, you know, anything that they do noteworthy. So no, I think, I think you're right. I think it's, it's, and it's always good to get national recognition for what's happening here. Yes. So will you find me at Elro? Absolutely. You know, it's a, uh, a house in, in Midtown. I don't think the address is a, a secret at this point. So no, we published it. So yeah, very exciting. And I uh, look forward to seeing Terrence uh, behind the line. Yeah. And I, and I think, you know, it's, it's pretty small. I mean, it's the, the, the plan as I understand it is like a, a 14 ish seat bar, a, a similarly sized kind of lounge area, and then maybe a 30, 40 seat patio. So it's, it's not going to be like some crew of random cooks. I mean, your, your Terrence is going to have to be there. Well, especially in the beginning, you know, all the time. And I have very fond memories of meals at both the pass and provisions obviously a very talented chef and I will say the Houston food scene is a little better when he's cooking in it than when he's not. Indeed. I, I would say all of the news and the news of the week is emblematic of where Houston is uh, in the dining landscape. Absolutely. All right. Let us put a pin in the news of the week. We'll be right back with our Restaurants of the Week. Stick around. Matt, for our Restaurants of the Week, I want to talk to you about two new places. Let's start with Kinokawa. 
This is Chef Billy Kin's new omakase restaurant in the Heights. You know, Billy has been around quite a bit. He he first came to my attention at Blackbird Izakaya, also in the Heights. And then he opened Hidden Omakase, but didn't stay there very long. And now he's out on his own again with this new restaurant. Brandon Silva, formerly of Degust, consulted on the project. He was there for a few weeks. Now he's moving on to whatever's next. So Matt, let me just, let me just ask you, because you're kind of my go-to for Japanese style dining, because it's, I know it's a style you really enjoy. Uh, You've been to Japan many times. You've, you've dined at fine Japanese restaurants all over the country. So, so let me just ask you, what did you think of Kinokawa? How does it sort of compare to your expectations for this style of restaurant? You know, I, I think this is, uh, it's, a, it's a good example of where things are, are headed. So it's, it's very interactive. It's very whimsical, really interesting ingredients, sort of interesting flavors. I wouldn't call them, you know, standard preparation, maybe standard techniques, but unique preparation. So. Uh, it's, it's exciting to see. I think it's a great option when you're, you know, considering if you're in the mood for omakase and particularly if you're in the Heights, I mean, wow, it's pretty, pretty easy calculus there. Yeah. I mean, I think what, what I found sort of exciting about my dinner at Kinakawa is that it didn't really seem like there was there was, there certainly wasn't a printed menu and there wasn't, it didn't even sort of seem like there was a a set progression because Billy was kind of doing his thing out front with the, the sort of nigiri sushi type items. And then Brandon was in the back doing some work on the hotline. And basically as soon as they finished a dish, like they served it. And so, you know, like Billy does the, Billy does his Toro, which he, he sort of kisses with a little bit of uh, binchiton to sort of caramelize it almost. He does that at the very, almost at the very beginning of the meal. Whereas most omakase, you know, you don't get the Toro until almost at the end. And then meanwhile, Brandon's firing out, you know, fried red snapper milk, which I know we sort of discussed on the, the year in review show. We'll, Sort of come back to that. It, but, it's cod, you know, not red, not red snapper, cod. Oh, sorry, cod milk. Excuse me, but you know, sautéed eels and shrimp, uh, almost like a ceviche style shrimp, but it was topped with uh, kind of a fried exoskeleton. You know, these are not sort of, from my perspective, expected dishes in a in a omakase preparation, but but here they are. So, what did you what did you kind of think about that? interaction or the the kind of improvisational style maybe of of what's happening to Kinakawa. Well, I think that's well said in in terms of sort of setting the expectations. It, you know, it is very free form. It does not read, you know, traditional. The setup is traditional. Some of the ingredients may be traditional, but it's uh it's sort of the tradition sort of stops there. You're basically being served by Billy as it's being prepared 
and uh, it's you know very interactive and and again I just I think that's where dining's moving and you're seeing it more and more um, and certainly on the omakase side which sets up really well for that sort of interaction you can ask the chef questions he can tell you his inspiration he can tell you you know it's almost more like a private dinner party. Yes, but a private dinner party with really good ingredients and really good technique. Absolutely. At, at someone else's house. So you don't right. have to do the dishes and you don't have to, you know, you just show up. Right. But you, but you can bring your own wine, which is nice. Yeah. And it's, you know, I think the space has a really good feel. Um, you know, it really, I think it speaks, it really is Billy. Um, you know, so I, I think uh, it's an extension of uh, his aesthetic, his cooking, and and that's kind of what I, I felt like. Um, you saw a little bit of that at Blackbird as a Kaya, if you sat at the bar, and Billy was there, uh, and he usually was. And, uh, you know, it, it's just that relationship and that happens, um, or sort of that interaction that happens across the past there is really adds to the experience. Um, and at the end of the day, if I'm really choosing one thing about dining out, it's experience. That's my, that's my number one. Well, and, and, you know, specifically when, when I went there, you know, he, he had this whole riff about, he only gets his, his supplier asked him why he only gets, female sea urchin instead of male sea urchin and and he showed us this text message exchange on his phone with the supplier and had one of the other one of the diners read the text messages you know so it it i mean that just that kind of stuff just doesn't happen in restaurants in my experience and it does create this kind of anything can happen you know you don't you don't really know what's coming kind of moment and and that's that's just a lot of fun right yes that give and take right and uh it is and you know fun counts for a lot i think that's uh you're gonna see you're you're already seeing it but i think you're gonna see it even more explicitly where dining is really going to be fun again absolutely all right and then just briefly i want to touch on underbelly burger uh, this is Chris Shepard's kind of retro burger joint at the Houston Farmer's Market. We went and had the Wagyu burger, the bacon sausage hot dog, and a Sidewinder fries, and, and a chocolate milkshake, or an Oreo shake, I should say. Matt, what did you think? I mean, is this a worthy addition to the Houston burger canon? I think so. You know, it was fun. Like, you walked in, it was kind of a throwback. You know, it... Uh... The menu kind of felt like it was from the 50s. They had, you know, different characters from different parts of the country, signature sort of burger places. I really, really liked the uh, sausage hot dog, uh, bacon sausage hot dog that they're doing. They, they basically butterfly the sausage dog and put it in two buns. And man, it just spoke to me that jalapeno mustard. Like if I told you, I've thought about stopping by there every day since we had it, it probably 
underselling how many times I've thought about it. No, I, I completely agree with you. S- split it in half and serving it in two buns means that like both, like both the flat sides of the sausage get a nice hard sear on the griddle, which is great for the texture. And that jalapeno mustard is just the right amount of spicy to kind of tie the whole thing together. And, and it's such a simple thing, but, and, and as much as I enjoyed uh, the Wagyu beef burger that we had, and I thought it was juicy and satisfying and, and just a very, a, a very solid, like very classic double, double style cheeseburger that, that bacon sausage dog is killer. And, and I would almost to the point where like, I'm not sure I could go back to underbelly burger and not get that right. Like, sure. Get the burger, but, but don't not get the hot dog. Cause that's, you can't get that anywhere else. No. Well, I mean, it's, yeah, it's, it, it's also, as I have thought about since our visit uh, the other week, you know, you, Houston's sort of having a resurgence on the burger front, right? There are several concepts um, that are either here uh, or are coming. And you, you think about them and, and a lot of them have, it's not just burgers. There's, there's something else that they're doing and uh, which I think is smart because, you know, I have the option. I don't have to go to Underbelly Burger and get a, uh, I can get a bacon sausage hot dog. The uh, chopped cheese that Burger Bodega is doing is outstanding. Still a burger, but, you know, a little bit off the beaten path. The hot dogs at uh, Burger Chan, delicious. So it's, it's exciting to see Houston, uh, you know, that, that it, it's sort of like how many burger places are, are too many burger places. Well, when we get there, we'll know. Yeah, I, I've stopped sort of sweating that debate. I mean, I feel like, you know, steakhouses, burger places, Tex-Mex, we have a lot of them. We have a civic appetite for a lot of them. And people can decide for themselves what to support. Yes. And and the only other thing I wanted to say about Underbelly Burger that I I really enjoyed was that soundtrack of what I'll describe as sort of pre-Beatles rock and roll from the 50s and 60s. You know, it's it's not my generation, right? It's my it's my father's generation, which means that that I was exposed to it as a as a child, as a teenager. And so I just it's very nostalgic for me. And I found it very enjoyable to, to listen to while we were eating. No, I think so. And I think the other takeaway, too, is, you know, that is at the uh, Houston's Farmers Market. And that's a great space. And um, I think that's as they start to open more and more places, that's absolutely going to be a destination for Houston. So that's that's exciting as well. Right. No, obviously. And I, I had the, the owners of RC Ranch on. Last week and Wild Oats from Chef Nick Fine is opening at the market and Crawfish and Noodles is opening at the market. They've got some other announcements about tenants still to be made. So that's only going to get better and better. Yes. All right, Matt, I'm going to say that does it for the restaurants of the week. Thank you very much. Thank you, Daddy. And I'll be right back with Danny Fraunfeld.
I am joined this week by the owner of Sipple, a new shop in the Rice Village area that specializes in non-alcoholic beverages. Danny Fraunfelkner, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me. It's such a pleasure to be here and I'm excited. Well, thanks for doing this. Obviously, it's dry January and I want to talk about Sipple and, and, and what you're doing there. But let's kind of start at the beginning. How did you become like involved in the world of like, how did you become a, a professional beverage nerd? If you, if you don't mind the characterization. Yeah, no, I love it. I, I definitely call myself a beverage nerd. Um, so I've been in beverage and hospitality for over 20 years now. Grew up on the cusp in Napa Valley. Um, you know, my, my family's not in the wine business. Uh, I get that question a lot. If they were, I probably never would have left Napa. Um, but I grew up with some family, very small family-owned vineyards, like a mile from my house. And that became very infectious on me from a young age of just like getting very fascinated with like taking things from the earth and making them to beverages, fermentation. I even had apple orchards close to my house too for cider makers. Um, so it was really intriguing. I was always reading encyclopedias and different books. Uh, Love soil, nerded out about terroir, just how different, you know, mother nature affects different things, um, which led me to just being very obsessed with wine in fermentation and was a beverage director small yay for a, a quite a quite a long time um for some for also for some top restaurant groups in houston um gratefully and then i've also worked for some distributors as well big ones and small ones and i've worked with diageo so i know how the whole big alcohol mindset works that's probably why i'm the anti-pay-to-play person um and then I've also been a producer. I've worked with four different wineries in Napa, five different wineries in Italy. Um, and then I was the director of operations for City Orchard Cidery and Brewery in Houston uh, before the pandemic um, and launched that whole brand and brought them up and stuff. And kind of what led me to being a beverage nerd into non-alcoholic is a question I get a lot is since my pretty much my whole career has been in alcohol is I cut back. I majorly cut back drinking fall 2019, um, kind of hit my lowest of lows. I know I needed to, I didn't like my relationship with alcohol. So I reevaluated it. I had a very unhealthy relationship with alcohol. I wasn't an alcoholic. I've drank in my life, not drinking my life, but being in the business for as long as I have having wine breath at 10 AM, tasting five wines a day, 50 wines a day. It just became all too consuming. I didn't like how I felt didn't really like who I was. Um, and I wanted to live my life with more mindfulness and intention. So I consciously cut back uh, drinking alcohol majorly before the pandemic uh, hit in spring 2020. Thank God I did because unfortunately I had, I had a lot of friends that went the opposite way and went down the deep dark rabbit hole and started drinking more. Um, and then in the pandemic altogether, you know, stopped drinking stopped drinking altogether. And that's what led to Sipple. I was on the quest in 2020. I was like, okay, there's Seedlip. There's some other brands out there. There's got to be more. I'm looking for adult beverages, wine, beer, spirits, aperitifs, but without the hot alcohol. I want the full flavor, and but I don't want the negative effects of alcohol. And that's where the light bulb went off in 2020 for me was with 
I haven't been a beverage nerd for 20 years because of alcohol. I actually don't like alcohol. Um, I like the stories, I like the flavor profiles, you know, the soil, like all those different nuances and things I really got obsessed with and found very interesting. Um, and then when I realized I could still do that, I could still be a beverage nerd and it could just take out alcohol of that equation. That's what kind of opened my mind up a lot and light bulb and off. And that's where Sippa was born. You covered a lot of ground in that. So, so let me just, let me just back you up just a little bit yeah. because you, you sort of talked about wanting to be involved in beverages and sort of separate yourself from alcohol. And I understand that part completely. But when did you, or, but it's kind of one thing to, to reassess your personal relationship and go looking for things you could do at home. And it's another thing to think like there's a business here. So, so when did you become convinced that a shop that only sells non-alcoholic wine, beer, spirits would be um, a viable business? Yeah, great question. Um... I would say fall 2020 was when I started to see more of an opportunity there. I had this crazy idea for like, you know, a non-alcoholic bottle shop. My friends and family thought I was crazy. Um, but I saw it. I saw the need. I saw, I, I saw more people on social media and some articles just kind of talking about just, you know, habits, eating habits, drinking habits and stuff. And I knew I wasn't alone. I knew I wasn't, I know there's people that cut out alcohol completely or that were just drinking less, wanted to be more mindful and stuff. So, but they were looking for options, but didn't know where to go. Um, so fall 2020 is when I really kind of went all in with Sipple and knew that this was, you know, something viable, tangible, and could be successful. Um, and a store like this was needed in Houston. It was cool in November. I think it was November 2020, if I remember right, the end of November. I saw an article come out about Spirited Away, which was New York City's first booze-free bottle shop. And I thought it was so awesome and cool. And I went to all my friends and family and showed them and said, see, I'm not that crazy. Someone else is doing this. This is a real thing. So, Well, yeah. either you're not that crazy or someone <laughs> is crazy, cra enough. at least as crazy as you are. I, you know, sure. <laughs> all right. So you, you have this idea and you convince some people to, to kind of help you bring it to fruition. Uh, you recruit your wife in that, to help, but, um, but, but maybe talk about sort of identifying the products because, you know, I think the, the quality of this stuff ranges from sort of happy to be here, right? Like, you'll, you'll drink anything because you're, you're making a choice not to drink alcohol. And this is, this is the thing that sort of recreates that experience for you to stuff that's got a lot of real thought behind it. And so how did you sort of select the products that you're carrying and, and how difficult was it to find like worthy products? Um, not easy. Uh, you know, 2020, especially 2021, we started to see more brands of quality, but, you know, we, you know, I, I tell a lot of brands that reach out to us. I tell all brands actually that reach out to us that we're not trying to be the Amazon of the alcohol free world. So we're not going to just carry anything and everything. Um, I think that there was, you know, definitely some companies out there in the beginning 
we're very, you know, just happy to have, you know, non-alcoholic options on their e-commerce or maybe in their store because um, of slim pickings back then. Um, but we took a different, you know, approach where it was like, well, we'd rather go smaller and more curated and find the best. And we're not looking for the biggest program. We're looking for, you know, the best kind of program. So 2020 was a lot of reaching out to brands in early 2021, talking to brands, tasting products. We carry about, I believe it's around 50 brands um, in the shop and around 150 products, give or take, um, which is still a lot. I mean, if you think about it, I think one of my favorite things when people come in the shop is people think like there's only, they're like, oh my God, I thought there was only going to be like five things here. So I think people are blown away with how many options we, there are, um, but there's so many more. I think I've tasted probably between three to 400 alcohol-free products by now. Um, and we have chosen to, you know, stack 150 in our shop mindfully. Um, and it's not easy to find. We're looking, because it's not alcohol, you have to put nutritional facts on the cans or bottles or whatever it is. And the majority of people that come in the shop are looking, they're looking as far as calorie, sugar content, and we don't believe in trading alcohol for sugar. So we're very conscious about that as well. And we know that that's something for people searching for, and we want high quality ingredients. Um, people want to know what they're putting in their bodies. You know, we want to be like, well, how is this a wine? Right. And we're like, yeah, you can see it right there. Like these are grapes from California. This is what they're doing. So people want transparency and we want to be able to answer their questions very intelligently and correctly. Um, and for us, the liquid in the bottles and cans is extremely important and it's up there. Number two, number one is the people behind the brand as well and why they're creating it, the processes that they're using. And I would say probably over 90% of the brands we partner with, I have a personal relationship with them or I personally reached out to them and know the founders or the director of sales or someone to really connect about why they started it, why are they doing it, what's their plans to kind of further along. So then tell me a little more about your typical customer. Are they, are they like absolutely sober? Like don't drink alcohol at all. Are they just looking for a break from alcohol? Like, are they, knowledgeable about the world of beverage like are they are they coming from you know they're craft beer drinkers or they were enophiles or you know they were like really into cocktails and they they want that same level of quality or are they or are they like people who have never drank but are like curious about these flavors now that it's sort of accessible to them so i'd probably say you know there's there's a good good number of people that come in the shop that are sober, um, that are in the, the sobriety um, community. And we believe that there's a sobriety spectrum, right? There's people that are very sober serious. There's people that are sober sometimes and sober curious. And I think the sober curious is a lot, is accounts for the majority, um, I would say probably like 70% of people that come in. Um, people that are just, you know, trying to drink less, interested, maybe just drinking on the weekends. We do get a, a great number of people that come in that are sober or do not drink alcohol because they're religious um, 
or health conditions. We get a lot of people from MD Anderson or else that, you know, are battling a health condition or cancer that, you know, aren't supposed to drink any alcohol anymore or cut, cut it down. Um, so it kind of ranges, but I would say the majority is people that are just still drink alcohol, um, but are trying to, you know, have more moderation. So in that environment where, like for someone who's never drank before, you know, they don't have the same taste memories of, you know, a really great IPA or a, or a crisp rosé or the, the burn of like a, you know, a whiskey, a, like a properly made old fashioned, right? Like, but, but for people who are sort of cutting back, these products have to, you know, have to be pretty authentic in their, their flavor profiles. Otherwise it's, it's not, it's not satisfying. For sure. Yeah. I mean, we do definitely get people that, you know, like I said, have never, we do, we do get a, a good number of people that are Mormon, Mormon or Muslim, for instance, I've never drunk alcohol before they come in the shop or we've actually gotten some people in the shop that have been sober for so long, like 14 years plus or something. They don't even remember what they like or what even wine tastes like. So it's, it's a, it's a fun and also challenging conversation to have is how do you explain what wine tastes like to some, to someone that's never had wine or beer, you know? So, and how do you find maybe that's what they like to drink? You know, if someone's never had an IPA, like you said, you know, do they like hops? Would they like citrus and bitterness, you know? So I've learned to take a different approach with them, you know, talking about beverages, some of them just drink water, juice or tea. Tea actually is very helpful. If they're a tea drinker, I can narrow down exactly kind of flavor profiles they like, but if they're not a tea drinker, I go into food. And a lot of them go, well, what does food have to do with this? I'm like, food has everything to do with this. Like what flavors do you like? Spicy? Do you like fruit forward? Do you like really light airy foods? Do you like unami? you know, like all those. And that will kind of tell me what kind of flavors jump out to them. And if they have a very sensitive palate or, or not, you know, and what kind of things to recommend them to see what they're like. So then what's moving? I mean, like what, what's, what have been your big sellers and, and has any of that, have you been surprised by anything that's kind of been at the, the top of your uh, product mix? Not surprised. Then the, the the top category is non-alcoholic wine. That's not a surprise to us because I know Houston, I know Houstonians and Texans love wine. Um, being a beverage director, SOM for a lot of restaurant groups, I've seen, you know, the through wine programs, what they can do and what a lot of Houstonians are looking for in terms of like wine style, what they'll pay um, consumption wise and everything. The, the volume of the sales we've done with non-alcoholic wine, that has been surprising. Um, we knew that it was going to be the top, like top category, but we did not, we did not guess how much non-alcoholic wine we would be selling. We also knew that ready to drink cocktails would be up there. And that's number two for us. I think people like that convenience of something pre-made, you know, like already like an old fashioned pre-made or a gin and tonic. Um, or something like that. And then obviously um, we have some beverages that are CBD or hemp, you know, hemp extract infused. People love those. Um, I think a lot of people are looking for those feel good drinks, right? Um, the healthy kind of buzz as we call it. 
So we knew those would be popular as well. And they're in our top categories. The one thing that's kind of surprised me is spirits. Spirits, I thought would be more of a top, you know, seller. And I think we're just starting to see that in the last month. We're starting to see more people buying spirits and more questions. Cause I think for a lot of people, it's intimidating to maybe buy, you know, even alcoholic spirits to buy something and like, how do I mix this? Right. But there's obviously a lot of general knowledge out there in a lot of books and recipes to find if you have a gin or a whiskey. I think non-alcoholic, it's the brave new world. So people, I think, are a little bit feel more comfortable buying a ready to drink cocktail that's already canned or bottled versus buying a spirit and trying to mix it themselves. And that's where we come in, where we have the bottles open, we taste them on it, and we also give them cocktail ideas too. Yeah, I will say I am really surprised by how many people throughout the pandemic sort of took to making their own cocktails, you know, not just highballs, but but even like tiki drinks and stuff that sort of required a more complex measuring, mixing, stirring, shaking, all that stuff. And I, I do think that that your timing in that sense is good because it, it's it's a little bit like, you know, an interest in cooking or making sourdough or anything else. You know, people are are more interested in the craft of creation than maybe they have been. And if they've been consumers, they're they're sort of ready for the challenge, maybe in a way that they they wouldn't have been a couple of years ago. Absolutely agree. Yes. Being stuck at your house. People were, you know, not only buying spirits and stuff like that, looking Google, buying recipe books. And they, these are people that were used to going out, you know, we, we, especially Houstonians. We know Houstonians love to go out, uh, restaurants, bars, and all of a sudden they can't. And they're like, well, I don't want to drink, just drink water all the time or just a beer. I want some cocktails. So people started to build their bar carts, right? Starting to, if they didn't have a home bar before, you saw, we saw a lot of people starting to build that um, alcoholic or non-alcoholic. And then they started to kind of like tinker away, you know, to make their old fashions or bijous or Gibsons or whatever they like and stuff like that. So that definitely lended into non-alcoholic being more creative and adventurous into that as well, for sure. All right. And then just, you know, I, I sort of struggle with it, right? Like I know, I know a lot of people who are like very committed to dry January, but they still, you know, they have a vape or they have, they're, you know, taking CBD or Delta eight or, or, you know, whatever. And, and I don't like, like I think of dry January as like sober, and when they say dry January, there's mean, no, no, we're not like, I'm just giving up alcohol. I'm not giving up necessarily other uh, mood enhancers, so to speak. And so, I mean, do you like, do you get sort of pushback from like committed sober customers about like, how can you stock this stuff? Or, or do you find maybe that the customers are, you know, want to mix, right? Like, yeah, I still like, I I'm, I'm giving up alcohol or I want to take a break from alcohol, but you know, I still want to, I still want something that'll make me feel a little bit giddy at the end of the night. Yeah. I, you know, we, we do get people in the store that are, you know, sober 
or religious that don't drink any alcohol at all or can't because of health conditions. And we just, we, we guide them to like what, you know, because we do have alcohol free options. That's completely 0%. And then we have non-alcoholic options that have trace amounts up to 0.5. So we definitely were very clear what those products are to them um, for that. I don't think we, I, we haven't experienced anyone that's looking for 0%. Like, why would you carry something like 0.5? They're just, I think a lot of them are just very happy that there's a shop that exists and these, there's products and brands that exist um, for them to, to buy and especially to enjoy and to kind of be a part of the party where I think a lot of them have felt neglected for a long time, going to restaurants or bars or going to parties. Now a lot of them can bring stuff with them. Um, I think a lot of people are just happy we're there. And that's where I think we've seen a lot of sober, curious people coming in the shop that are still drinking, but maybe they're trying to be more mindful with it. Instead of, you know, two ounces of their favorite whiskey, maybe they do a halvesy. They do one ounce of their favorite whiskey and one ounce of a non-alcoholic whiskey and do like more of a lower ABV cocktail. There's definitely no right or wrong way to, you know, drink these products and stuff like that, or to, especially to put them in your lifestyle. Um, and I think if, if people look at it that way, which we definitely have experienced that it becomes a little one dimensional and you can fit these in your lifestyle, however you want. If you do drink every day, if you don't drink, you're taking a night off a week off dry January or a lifetime off or whatever it is, there's definitely ways to fit these in you know, in, into your life. I think a great example is plant-based, you know, when plant-based came over from, you know, Europe and the UK, when I was working in restaurants, we, I definitely was around a lot of people that were resistant towards it. Chefs, restaurant owners. Oh, this is only for vegetarians, vegans, you know, like we're, uh, people are coming here to eat meat and stuff. And it's like, no, actually plant-based is for everyone. And I think that's non-alcoholic too. Like you starting to see plant-based options more on, you know, starting to get more on menus, just like more gluten-free options and stuff. And I think you have their staples. And I think non-alcoholic will definitely get there because non-alcoholic, it's for everyone. If you don't drink at all, or if you still drink, like you can definitely fit this in your lifestyle in any way you want. Well, yeah, no, no. I, I, I think that's all well said and, and I appreciate it. I, I, I guess what I more meant was sort of how do you see sort of these CBD or, or cannabis infused beverages interacting with the rest of your product mix? Cause I mean that the, these sort of functional beverages are, are that that's new to me and that that's sort of intriguing. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. To be very specific with that, there's definitely um, I think I've, I've experienced, there's definitely people that come in that are sober Um and that or, or religious and they don't want any part of CBD, um, anything that's mood and mood changing or mood enhancing. Um, they don't want to be a part of for their own, their own personal reasons or religious reasons or, or whatever their program and stuff like that. So that's definitely, I think CBD beverages are very exciting, but they're not for everyone. You know, you have to be open to that, but, they do fit in the whole non-alcoholic world, you know, so they do, they, all these things can coexist and stuff. And it is a really exciting thing because there are a lot of people looking for 
well, I don't want alcohol, but I want to like, you know, mellow out or I want to decompress and stuff like that. So choosing a more healthier way of decompressing or having a drink, I think is really exciting. And that's where we're seeing functional spirits um, and CBD beverages really take off. And I think that we're going to see it really go up um, for years. But yes, there's definitely, there are some, there's definitely some people in the sober community that don't believe that CBD beverages or hemp infused beverages belong in the non-alcoholic category. Um, and everyone's opinion is valid as far as our opinion goes and simple will definitely stock them because we believe that they have a seat at the table and these are beverages that people want and they fit, they fit under our umbrella of adult non-alcoholic beverages. Yeah. Are there, are there a couple of the CBD products or, or cannabis products that you uh, are particularly excited about? Yeah, for sure. So um, of course, Mixer Elixir um, Ranch Water, um, which just, really officially launched recently. We've, we've been testing, it's a CBD sparkling water. So it's basically a ranch water. You got your sparkling water, your agave, your lime, and it's meant to be mixed with either alcoholic tequila or non-alcoholic tequila. And on its own, it tastes kind of like a Topo Chico with less, like, less bubbles, not like a little bit, not as harsh bubbles as Topo, but think of a sparkling water with like six to eight limes in it. So it's super refreshing. I drink it on its own. I probably drink a ranch water almost every day. Um, and that's actually made by a local company in Houston, Bayou City Hemp Company in Katy, Texas. Um, and they actually make the CBD in Delta 8 for 8th Wonder. So the Wonder Water, um, Bayou City Hemp Company is actually behind that too. And we'll be actually carrying Wonder Water Delta 8 and Third Coast Delta 8, I think starting this week or next week which we're really excited for that um, as well. And then spirit wise, there's a company called Aplos and Aplos is a, you know, high quality hemp infused uh, functional spirits, very concentrated, something you definitely don't drink on its own. Definitely has to be mixed with tonic, hibiscus tea, um, a lot of different things you can do with it. The cool part is Jessica, the co-founder is, uh, her uncle started High Times Magazine in the 1970s and her parents used to work for High Times Magazine. So she's been around hemp her whole life. So the hemp that she's selecting is extremely high quality. Um, it's a great, it's a great spirit. And I know that by the hemp company, bringing it back to local, uh, they, they've, they figured out this new net nanotechnology, which I don't fully wrap my head around just yet. Um, I'm really excited to go to their facility soon to check it out, but I know that they're able to extract the, the THC um, in such a more high quality way and then um, do the, the nano emulsion in the drink. So you're really tasting more of the lime in the ranch water versus the actual like, you know, hemp. So it kind of covers up that bitterness. And I can tell you drink tasting and drinking a lot of different CBD beverages over the last few years. Mixer Elixir's ranch water definitely gets in your bloodstream a lot faster with their nanotechnology. And for everyone, it's different. But for me, it gives me a nice little mellow. And it's kind of like I said, it's like that healthy buzz. So I really, I really like their stuff. And we've been testing out their product 
for, I think it was like oh, five weeks and we sold out every week and they did their official launch party with us on January 8th, I believe it was. And I think we sold just that weekend, we sold over 200 cans of it. People are going nuts over it. Um, and it's definitely quickly has become our number one product in the store is Mixer Elixir Ranch Water, CBD. Oh, wow. Okay. So there's definitely strong consumer interest in this. Yes, big time. And a lot of people have asked um, about Delta 8. Do you carry Delta 8 waters? Do you know of any? So it's been something that I've, I've, you know, it's been on my radar for a while. So we're happy that we'll have some Delta 8. But we do get a lot of questions about CBD. Uh, there's a lot of people in the shop that they're not opposed to CBD. They just never have had it. Maybe they've used it topically or not, but they're like, well, I've never had CBD. And they, they start to ask us like, well, how am I going to feel? Or can I do this? I'm like, I'm not a doctor, I'm not a licensed physician, but I was like, you know, have your first can at your house, see how you feel. You know what I mean? Like you're not going to get high off it or anything. It's you're going to might mellow you out. Maybe it's not going to put you to sleep or anything, but everyone's different. So just try it out. But there's huge interest for CBD for people that are, you know, active CBD users or really into cannabis or anything like that or functional drinks. But we've seen in our shop over the last like six weeks, people that maybe have been on the fence, on the fence with CBD or just not really understanding what CBD actually is or the benefits are super intrigued. And that's something that we get like, oh, these are CBD beverages. Tell us about this more. So it's definitely a huge talking point in our shop. So I'm going to say, Danny, that does kind of bring me to the end of my questions. Is there something I haven't asked you about that you would like to discuss? Uh, you know, I think dry January is a great time. And, and I, I, I definitely hear what you're saying, dry January, like your view of it is like sober. And I think it brings up a great point. You know, when I tell people I don't drink, people think I'm naturally sober. I'm like, no, I live my life alcohol free. So I think there's a lot of people out there that don't want to drink are taking a month off with dry January or not drinking, but maybe they, you know, have other habits that they, they want to keep up and stuff like that. So I think there's, I have a lot of love and respect for the word sober. And a lot of people do. And I think people are starting to realize like what sober is and what it means. And, and I think that definition is standing very, very true. I think dry January is also a great time. I think a lot of people, I think last year we saw, I think the, the statistic I saw was 45 million Americans participated in dry January last year. And they projected, I think over 60 million this year. And I think it's a great time for people to, um, you know, to dip their toe in the water, right? I think a lot of people get less judgment or questions or criticism um, doing dry January. Say if you took off March, you were gonna like, you know what, I was, I'm not gonna drink in March. You probably get a lot more questions in March, like why aren't you drinking or why are you taking a month off? But dry January, a lot of, a lot of people know about it, not everyone. So I think it's more socially acceptable. So I think more people are able to dip their toe in the water. Right, um, you have that kind of peer support. You know, that, yes. that it's, it's sort of socially acceptable. You know, you say, you know, say you're taking off March in Houston. It's like, yeah. oh, you're going to go to the rodeo and not have a beer. Like, <laughs> you're, you know, you're going to 
what what hap- what are you going to do on St. Patrick's Day? You're, you're not going to have, yeah. you know, you're not going to have a shot at JMO. Like, what the heck's wrong with you? Or, you know, are you going to meetings? Like, what are, yeah. what are we talking about? Dry January, it's like, nah, you're good. You just you can do dry January. But but understanding for me personally, the diff that there's a there's a there's sort of a gap between alcohol free and sober that yeah. I didn't appreciate until dry January started and I started talking to more of my friends who are participating. Yeah, no, it's 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 a really exciting time and I think it's great. One thing I would love to to mention real quick is about restaurants and bars. You know, like last dry January, dry January 2021, we definitely had, you know, some two-headed dog, Lindsay, she 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 had some great cocktails. We saw some, but this year so many more bars and restaurants are participating in dry January. And I think it's really exciting. And I've asked a lot of those bars and restaurants, hey, when it's February, please don't take them off the menu. Like, you know, maybe you're doing five non-alcoholic cocktails. Maybe just keep two or three, right? Don't completely take them off the menu. Keep them on there, promote them. There's definitely people that are might be doing soberware, right? Where they combine January and February or that are just not drinking and stuff. And I've heard a lot of restaurants and bars. I mean, let's be honest. There's a lot of restaurants and bars throughout the U.S. and the world that have closed down through the pandemic. And a lot of them, it breaks my heart. And a lot of restaurants and bars that are thinking like, how do we drum up business? How do we get more people in the door? I think non-alcoholic options is a perfect opportunity to do that beyond dry January. Put them on your menu, put at least one beer, one good non-alcoholic cocktail, one non-alcoholic wine, like good quality. See how the numbers, you know, put it on your menu, make sure that it's on your menu front and center. And I always, I always tell restaurants and bars, please, please do me a favor and don't put it on the bottom right corner next to the kids food. Right. Like <laughs> don't, because I see it. I see that happen too many times where I'm like, well, that's people are going to associate with that. You know, like these aren't adult actually offerings or how many people look at the bottom right of a menu. Right. Not a lot. Unless well, you have let, kids. let me just say that there is a list of 17 bars and restaurants with compelling non-alcoholic options on culture map that people can read and use as a reference. And, and, you know, the other thought is I've tried to stay away from the word mocktail because I I don't want people to feel like they're getting a fake version of something, right? That these are, these are drinks that are zero proof for Laney column at monkey's tail calls them free spirited, which, which I think is really charming. Uh, But you know, they're compelling in their own right. And they're not just, you know, sugary, like, you know, juice alternatives, right? That they have bite and bitterness and spice and and all the other things that we really like about cocktails. For sure. And I definitely respect where you're coming from. And I agree. Mocktails is a very heated conversation always, but especially now. Um, I think half of the people I meet love the term mocktails, half of the, of the other half does not. And I respect the word mocktails because I think it's a good gateway word into the space, right? Um, for people just entering into it how, for whatever, whatever their why is. But for me, I associate mocktails with, you know, those 
cocktails that were mimicking other, you know, actual cocktails and they were using fruit juices and syrups. So like you said, like over sugary kind of afterthoughts. When I think of like what's going on now, like what Lainey is doing, like you said, what's, you know, Sarah Crawl did at Rosie Cannonball, um, Justin Ware at Night Shift, uh, so many great programs. What I see them doing, these are actually grown up, elevated, sophisticated, non-alcoholic cocktails. And I love all the terms like people are using, like Laney, like you said, free spirited. I hear zero proof. We do, um, when we do events and stuff, we call them unleaded cocktails. Um, <laughs> right. We like, we like to, we like that term. And actually we have our first actual official pop-up bar this Friday um, at Axelrad. Um, we'll actually be in the Bear Garden in their 1960s Airstream trailer. And I'll be there for a few hours on a Friday night making non-alcoholic cocktails. I'm going to bring non-alcoholic beers and wines with me. And it's a little pop-up, you know, non-alcoholic bar for everyone, you know, people that are interested. But it is cool to see. But I do, we do want to distinguish. There are mocktails and mocktails still exist. And that's, that's fine and great and good. And they should. At the same time, then there should be things like what Laney's doing, like free spirited, right? These more elevated. And I love you have, you know, 18 bars and restaurants on Culture Map showcasing that because we get that question at the shop all the time. Where can I go for a good non-alcoholic cocktail and stuff? And that is a great resource. Right? I have my bars and restaurants where I point them to, but that's amazing where I can point them to a resource like, oh, check out Culture Map. There you go. You, you got it covered. You'll find some great stuff there. Yes. No, I, I agree with all of that. Uh, I, I will say the only thing, calling them unleaded, you have to be old enough to remember when there was leaded. <laughs> that, that dates yeah. you. Yeah. 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 I, I am also old enough to remember leaded. And <laughs> but, you know, you yeah. tell that to somebody who's like 25, they'll be like, what do you mean? Yeah, you well, you know, I, it's funny you bring that up. We have. I said unleaded and someone's like, I've got those like eyes, like, okay, like, what do you mean? And, and yeah, so I've definitely <laughs> experienced that for sure. Um, but I think it's cool, all the different terms and what people are doing. And I, I love the creativeness and I welcome it. I encourage it. I support it. And I really think that this, this, the movement, this is just the beginning. So it's going to be really exciting to see a year from now, January, 2023, where we're at. And I think 2022 restaurants and bars hold the key. They're the key to non-alcoholic to get that more in and to have more awareness and representation. No, absolutely. And, and I, you know, I fully support making, you know, these places as welcoming for people as possible and, and it's good to see it. Uh, we are running a little long, so yeah. I do want to kind of wrap this up, but before I let you go, I have to play the lightning round. Okay. Five easy questions, five short answers. Just say the first thing that comes to mind. Danny Fraunfalkner, what is your favorite sip at Sipple? Favorite sip at Sipple. It, right now it'd be Studio Null number three, Prickly Red. What is the first band you ever saw in concert? Crisscross. Who is your favorite Houston sports figure, past or present? Ooh, Jeff Bagwell. What is your fast food guilty pleasure? It has to come from a restaurant with a drive-thru. In and out burger. And then finally, what is the new restaurant you're dying to try? 
Ooh, new restaurant I'm dying to try. So many. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Sip- I I love that simple. So so many. Um, I don't even. I, I don't even know. I mean, there's so many on my list right now that I want to check out. So I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to read up more on on Culture Map, all the new restaurants you're reporting on, to see good, all the things I've been missing on. It's a good answer. All right. Yeah. Um, give us the website for Sipple and the social media so that people can can follow up with what you're what you're doing and and yeah. you know address and all that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So the uh, the the physical brick and mortar shops in just by Rice Village is 2410 Quinby Street. Um, and then our website is Sipple, S-I-P-P-L-E dot co. And then our Instagram handle is at Sipple dot co as well. So yeah, come check us out. Danny, thank you very much. Yeah, thank you. Such a pleasure. Thanks, Eric. You can follow me on Instagram at Eric Sandler. Keep it locked on culturemap.com for all the latest Houston bar and restaurant news. Thanks so much for listening. I'll be back next week. We'll be right back with our restaurants of the week. Stick around. Yeah, I stupidly closed the outline. That's not very smart of me. Oh, no, wait. Here it is. Michael, don't cut that out. Don't edit that, <laughs> please. Uh, Matt, for I'll our take restaurants. Up, I'll take up a collection from the co-host. We, you will be well compensated. Show me the money. <laughs> uh...